Yeah, need be every hour, that is for sure. We are continuing this beautiful book of John today, John chapter 4. Please turn your Bibles to John chapter 4. We continue through the book of John. Here in John chapter 4, I want to remind us once again of the main purpose of the book of John, which is stated clearly at the end of the book. The main purpose of the book is that you would believe. And in that believing, you would have eternal life. You would have life in the name of Jesus. We've seen in the early chapters of John, the failures of Judaism and the terrible spiritual condition of Israel. We've also seen Jesus turn his attention and is preaching away from Israel to the Gentiles. And we see in the verses ahead of us today, Jesus's words that a prophet has no honor in his own country. A prophet has no honor in his hometown. The Jews of Judea did not accept his message. The Galileans were mostly interested in his miracles. Ironically, the deplorable Samaritans were the ones that the Jews hated the most, but they're the ones that accepted him and his gospel with no opposition. The words that are written before us today in John chapter 4, the end of the chapter, they're written that you and I would believe. And so I want to keep that in mind as we're reading these words. They're written that you and I would believe. And that belie in believing, we would have life in his name, eternal life. So let's look at John chapter 4, starting in verse 43. John chapter 4, starting in verse 43 to the end of the chapter. After two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was, a fish, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. And so he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and his whole household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. And so we see here, he, he stayed in Samaria for two days. You remember the, the, the scene there with the Samaritans, the woman at the well. He had come there waiting to talk with her. And he had given her the gift of eternal life to her and to most of the town. And they believed his word. No miracles were done. They took him at his word. They believed his gospel message. They believed his word. And not only did they believe him, they said, hey, stay here with us. Stay here with us. And he stayed there for two days. 
Then he goes and departs for Galilee. We see that in verse 43. Jesus had great success in Samaria. Ironically enough, through the witness of one woman, many had believed and been saved. So why remain there for only two days, Jesus? I mean, you're not following what like we would typically think. You know, you're having great success, Jesus. You know, why, why leave after two days? Why leave after two days? Why not stay where you're welcome and safe? I mean, everywhere else he went, they, they wanted to kill him, right? And so why, Jesus? Why wouldn't you just be there, linger there for a while, you know, kind of soak in the success and, and relax a little bit? You know, most of us would see this as a, a sign of great success, a bright spot, right? We would set up shop there and we'd make it our ministry headquarters. Is <laughs> what we'd want to do. Like we found our people, you know, <laughs> and we'd set up shop there and we'd celebrate our victory and we'd stay and we'd want to grow a mega church like right there in that place, you know, bring in as many as we possibly can. But God's ways are so much different than our ways, aren't they? He stays there for two days, two days only. His ways are so much different than our ways. No matter how successful and popular we may be in a place in a certain ministry, we got to listen to God's, God's word in our lives. We got to move on when God tells us to move on. And that's what Jesus is doing here. God had work for him in Galilee, and it was time for him to move on. Jesus knew his mission. He knew he must move on despite the welcome he had received there in Samaria. <clears throat> and this is tempting. So, you know, we need to examine this a little bit. It's tempting for us today when we, you know, achieve great success in a certain ministry, perhaps that, or, or even failure that might make us stop. You know, we got to really search out, you know, what's God want me to do here? Are we really walking with the Lord? And if we're walking with the Lord, we'll know when we should stay and when we should go. And how will you know? Well, there'll be no rest for your souls until you move when he tells you to move. Some of you have felt that in your lives already. I know I have. It's like, why, God? Things are pretty good here. Things are pretty comfortable here. I'm, I'm living near my family. You know, everything's good. I got a good job and all these things. Go, he says. And you, there's no rest for your soul until you go. Some of you have felt it. And for those of you who have, that haven't, you will at one point, I'm sure. <laughs> so when he says go, learn from my mistakes. Go. Because you will have no rest for your soul until you do. So Jesus is going now. And he knew there would be difficulty ahead of him in Galilee. But that didn't stop him. Because he said, the prophet has no, they're not welcome in their hometown. So he knew that there was trouble ahead, but he went anyway. He had said earlier in Matthew 13 and in Luke 4 that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. In the account in Luke chapter 4, in fact, the people of Nazareth, Jesus' own hometown where he grew up, perfect child, never sinned perfect child, grew up there. They had seen him grow up his whole life in his own hometown. They were filled with wrath against him. They drew, in fact, they drove him out of the town and brought him to the edge of the hill so that they could throw him off the cliff in his own hometown. You can read about that in Luke chapter four. 
but he escaped their plan to preach on because his hour had not yet come at that point. So why, Jesus, why go back to Galilee knowing that could be what's waiting for you? Man, well, we know the answer. We find the answer in Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. It says this, when he had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Jesus is all about fulfilling God's word, every single bit of it, that the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus knew he had to fulfill God's word. He knew he had to go back to Galilee. He knew he had to bring light to the darkness. And he's told us to do the same thing. We are to go. Make disciples. Be the light of the world. Don't hide it under a bushel. But take your light into this world, into this dark world, into the deep darkness. Just as Jesus did. Jesus had come to do the will of God and accomplish the, his father's work. You remember reading that in John chapter 4? It says, my food is to do the will of my father in heaven and to accomplish his work. And that's what he's about doing here. He was the light preaching in the darkness. For two days, he had experienced joys of harvest in Samaria. His spirit had been refreshed. Now he continues to eat the spiritual food from the Father by doing the will of the Father and accomplishing his work in Galilee, where he could likely be killed. But he goes. Look at verse 45. So when he had come to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, seeing all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he comes back, and now they, they don't really want to kill him. They welcome him. Why? Well, he's the hometown rock star that's come home. <laughs> you know, he went to Jerusalem, you know, the, the main place. He's in the temple. They saw the works that he did there because they had gone to the feast themselves. They're like, wow, that's Jesus, man. Maybe we shouldn't have tried to throw him off the cliff, you know? He did some pretty amazing stuff there. Did you see what he did? Oh, yeah, I saw him heal this guy. I saw him cast out this demon. What did you see? And then, you know, he's, he's, they're all talking about it. He's the hometown rock star who's come home. And so they welcome him. But why did they welcome him? They welcomed him because of the show, because of the miracles, because of the signs. They hated him because of his words. Every time he would open his mouth in their synagogues, they hated him. You know, they grumble against him. They want to kill him for what he had to say. They hated him for his gospel preaching. But man, those miracles, that's awesome stuff. We got to see more of that. I mean, they couldn't go watch Marvel movies or whatever in the theater. You know, this was real life. And there's miracles happening right here in front of us. This is amazing stuff. We want to see more of that. And so he comes back to Galilee and they welcome him because of what they saw in Jerusalem at the feast. 
Look at verse 46. He came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. So now at this part in, in John chapter four, there's so many connections and comparisons that I want us to see. I'm going to do the best I can to kind of take us through some of these connections and comparisons. So immediately John's telling us, look, this is where he had made the water wine. He's in Cana of Galilee. He's, he's bringing us back in our minds to what he had already written in John chapter two. Jesus's first miracle. He's connecting this back in our minds for us. And there are many comparisons here between that first miracle uh, and this miracle that he's about to do. And it's all, it's all very interesting and it's all connected. Both of them, I want to show some of the comparisons here. Both of these things happened on the third day. They were third day events. The wedding was on the third day. You can see that in John chapter two, verse, verse one. And here we see after two days in Samaria, Jesus arrives in Cana on the third day. Both of these involve a rebuke of the one who requests the miracle. Remember what happened? Mary came to him, his mother. Hey, Jesus, they're out of wine. This is a problem. He's like, my, my, my hour's not yet come. This, this isn't the time, woman. Remember that? <laughs> woman, this isn't my time. And she's like, it's a problem. Do whatever he tells you to do, she tells the servants. Remember that? So he rebukes Mary when, he come, when she comes, asking for him to, to take care of this. When the nobleman asks Christ to come down and heal his sick child, the Lord also rebukes him. Unless you see signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. So there's, there's a rebuke there as well. So it's a third day event. There's a rebuke of the one who asks for the miracle. There's also an obedient response by those who Jesus commands. There are servants involved. The servants are involved in both accounts. And there's an obedient response by those who Jesus commands. In John 2, 7 and in 4, verse 50, he tells the, the servant at the, the wedding, you know, fill up the pots, etc., and they do it. They do exactly as he says to do, and the miracle happens. Here, he, he instructs the officials, go, your son is healed. And he goes. He doesn't question. He just goes. In both of the miracles, Jesus works only with his word. He doesn't touch anything. He doesn't, you know, like some, in some miracles, you know, he'll put spit on his hands and put it in people's eyes. Like, Ooh, that's gross. Why do you do that to heal the guy? He could have just said something. The guy would be healed. But in these cases, he's just speaking. He just speaks and the miracle happens. Nothing but speaking. Also in both of the miracles, the knowledge of the servants is mentioned. Knowledge of the servants is mentioned in both of them. John chapter 2, verse 9, and here in verse 51. The servants know <clears throat> what has happened. The servants see the son healed, and they, they tell the, the, the official that he's been healed. And it was the same with the miracle of the water and the wine. They saw what had happened. In both miracles, the ones who witnessed the miracle believed. In John chapter 2, in the miracle of the water to wine, when this happens, the disciples believe. You see that in chapter 2, verse 11. His disciples believed in him. So there's a purpose behind these miracles. 
Jesus does these miracles so that someone will believe and be saved. The wedding at Cana, it was for his disciples' sake. His disciples believed in him. And here, verse 53, the whole ruler's household believes in him. And they're both very similar in the way they conclude. The way they end, John chapter 2, verse 11, we're told this is the beginning of the miracles Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. And we see at the end of chapter 4, this is the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So there's, there's many comparisons here between these two miracles. And, and there's also comparisons as well between what we see uh, in John, starting at John chapter 2 and all the way here through the end of chapter 4 with Nicodemus, the woman at the well, and now this royal official and his son. And we're going to get into that as well. We see in verse 47, when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. You know, I read that and I thought the rich have their troubles as well as the poor. Money doesn't keep us from trouble in life. So often we think, you know, if I just had, you know, authority or if I just had, you know, more money or if I just had this house or that car or these things, you know, my troubles would be so much less. Actually, no. The rich have trouble in life. Maybe even more than the poor, actually, because that money brings a lot of trouble and grief. It can. So we hear, see here, this is a royal official. And his son is about to die. No respectable title, no amount of money in his bank account has kept him from the suffering of his son. Those who live in palaces have suffering in their lives, just as those who live in trailers. It doesn't, it doesn't keep us from suffering. I'm sure this official tried everything he could do to make his son better. He was desperate. Have you ever felt that way? I want us to kind of feel this this morning, especially those of us who have children. You know, when your son is suffering, there is no deeper suffering than the suffering of your child. You know, as a parent, just watching that, you feel so out of control. You feel so helpless. You know, God often allows the suffering of our children, parents in our lives to deepen our faith and our character, strengthen our character. Because oftentimes, you know, especially when your children are adults, you are completely out of control. And you just sit there heartbroken. And, and really all you can do, it's like, has it come to this? Yes, all I can do is get on my knees and cry out to God. And that's, that's where this royal official is. <laughs> he has tried everything he possibly can do. Everything. so he goes to Jesus. His suffering has led him to the Lord. Suffering is one of God's medicines. And when it happens to us, let's be careful not to grumble in our time of trouble. Let's, let's be careful to lean into it. Instead of 
grumbling and cursing God, let us lean into it and look to Jesus, look him in the face and cry out for his help, for his comfort, for his peace. And lean into it. Lord, what, what do you want me to learn through this? What are you trying to teach my daughter or my son? I know, Lord, you're allowing this for a reason. Help me understand. Help me to learn, Lord. Help me to grow closer to you, Lord. Help me to love others more. Grow my character. Strengthen my faith, Lord. That's why he allows those sufferings in our lives. They're not for no purpose. He allows them for a purpose, to build our character and strengthen our faith. This man had faith in Jesus. Maybe not saving faith at this point, but he had some shred of faith. There was a shred of faith within this man. That's why he went after Jesus. His faith was very small, but it was enough for him to go. Jesus has come. I've got to go see him. So he journeys from Capernaum to Cana. And at this point, too, his faith was likely in the miracles that he had heard about, right? Because that's why the people welcomed him. They had seen the miracles. He had heard what Jesus had done before, how he had healed the sick and the lame. And so he has hope in what Jesus can do for his son. And so he goes. And so he goes and he asks Jesus to come down and heal his son. For he's at the point of death. And look at verse 48. Jesus says to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. So the official here, he shows up on the scene. He has a shred of hope and faith in Jesus that he can that he can heal his son. And then I I love this. You know, he's he's not really listening to what Jesus is saying to him. He's kind of there, you know, he's a royal official, so he's used to being in charge. Jesus, do this. (laughs) Come now. My son's about to die. And he's really not listening to what Jesus is saying. He's there to tell Jesus what to do. Jesus, come. Come down to Capernaum. Heal my son. Very clear. He's telling Jesus what to do. He's commanding. And I, I think this is just like me. I think it's just like us. Don't we do this when we pray? You know, we, we, when we're troubled, when we are troubled in our, in our spirit and we see a problem and we, we know we, we've got the answer to the problem and it's like, Jesus, just do this, okay? And this will fix everything. We've got it all figured out. We do this too. We tell Jesus what to do. We go to the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the God of the the universe who created us, knit us together in our mother's womb. And we're telling him what to do. (laughs) As I read this text, I was like, oh, God, forgive me. God, have mercy on my wretched soul. Who am I to tell God what to do? I messed everything up. (laughs) I'm a complete mess. If I were smart, I'd say, God, here's the problem. Please just fix it, right? Have your way, Lord. And help me to, to, to you know, follow in it. And I know, man, all the time I'm showing up. Oh, okay, Jesus, here's, here's the game plan. 
You, I need you to do this, and this, and this, and this. And once you do all that, all the boxes will be checked, Jesus, and problem solved. And to God be the glory. <laughs> like, oh, God have mercy on me. I'm just like this royal official. Show up on the scene in my, in my prayer time, and I'm just going to tell him what to do. I got it all figured out, Jesus. And then, then, when I don't see fruit from my prayers or my labors, I cry out to the Lord asking for some kind of sign that he's hearing me and that he's working for my good. I, we all do this. If we're honest with ourselves, you know, we're praying, God, do this. God, do this. We're telling God what to do all the time. And then God ain't doing it. God ain't doing it. Because God's there in heaven thinking, Brian, if I did all that, you'd be an utter mess. <laughs> you'd be worse off than you are now. Why don't you just listen to me for a little bit? But when he doesn't do what I ask him to do, then I'm like, oh, God, I, you're not hearing me. You know, you're, you're far from me, God. I don't hear you. Do you hear me, God? Show me a sign. So I know you're listening. So I know you're working for my good. I am just like this royal official. <clears throat> and I'm just like these people in Galilee. You know, I want to see signs. I want to see wonders. I want to see with my eyes so that I can believe. I wish I were more like those Samaritans. Just take him at his word. So often we want to see these signs. And, and Jesus is talking to me in this, in this text. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will simply not believe. Okay, yeah, God, have mercy on my soul. Now, it's interesting to compare this man's faith to the centurion of Matthew chapter 8. There's a parallel, a very similar story in Matthew chapter 8. There's a centurion who lives in Capernaum. <clears throat> and you can see it, strong parallels in the story. The royal official goes to Jesus and, and compels Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son. So they're both from the same city. The centurion of Matthew chapter 8, though, has a very different approach. Very different approach. He has great humility. He goes to Jesus and he, and he tells Jesus, oh, I am not worthy that you should even come Near, near my house or under my roof. Just merely speak the word only and my, my servant will be healed. His faith is much stronger in the Lord when he comes. He knows and believes that just merely a word from Jesus will heal his servant. And Jesus even tells the centurion, oh, I'll come and heal him. But the centurion is like, no, 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 no. I am not worthy of that. No, no, Look, I'm in authority. I have servants. I tell them to, to do this and to do that, and they do it. You don't need to come, Jesus. You just speak a word, and my servant will be healed. Such great faith in that centurion. So similar stories, but a very stark contrast. The, the royal officials like, come now, Jesus. My son's about to die. you got to get up and come. Like, unless Jesus comes and touches him, he's not going to. Very different. The centurion has much stronger faith. 
He knows and believes that simply a word from Jesus will heal his servant. And what does Jesus say about the, the centurion? He says this. He says, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. But what does he say about the royal official? Unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. Man, I want to be like that centurion. I want Jesus to, to shout from the rooftops. I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. I want faith like that. I pray you want faith like that too. The point of drawing all this out is so that we can see, man, you know, Lord, we need stronger faith in you. Help us, Lord, to have stronger faith in you. Help us to fully trust you, Lord. Like this centurion trusted. And, and let's be careful when, you know, when, when we're struggling, when we're suffering. First of all, not to grumble about it, but lean into it. God, thank you for this suffering. Help me to see, God, how you're building my character. Help me to see how I can have stronger faith in it, Lord. Help me to see how I can love you more and love my neighbor more in this suffering, Lord. Help me, Jesus, to see and understand. Instead of grumbling and cursing God, like we're so prone to do. Oh, if God were real, he wouldn't let this happen. You know, if God were real, he wouldn't let my, my son suffer like this. Why, God? Why? And we grumble against God. No, let us have a heart that leans into God. Seeks his peace and joy and comfort in the midst of that and learn from him. And let's also be reminded, hey, let's not dictate to God what he needs to do. God knows what he needs to do. Let's instead humble ourselves and fall broken at his feet and say, you know, God, teach me. I'm your humble servant. Help me to see how you're working through me and through the suffering of my family. Help me, Lord, to see. Help me to have stronger faith. He's told us that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. First John chapter five. Isn't his promise enough? So let's not be unbelieving, but let's be believing and let's not crave so much for the signs and just fully trust in him. Look at Jesus's response. Verse 50. <clears throat> After the servant, uh, the, the royal official implores him, come, my son's about to die. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. Now, I, I love this about our Savior. Now, he could have just really corrected this, this guy right here. Who do you think you are, Mr. Royal Official? Let me tell you something. I'm going to put you in your place. You may be Royal Official of Capernaum. I'm Royal Official of the universe and beyond. And he could have really put him in his place. Who do you think you're talking to? Tell me what to do. Love, no. Go, your son will live. He is merciful. He is compassionate. He never turns away a soul that's truly seeking him. No matter how ignorant they may be. As often as I am, very ignorant. When our hearts are truly set on Jesus, he always responds. 
And, and not only just responds, but he does exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or even think. Remember that. He is faithful. And so it, it, so it was here. He not only heals the son of the official, but he does it immediately by the word of his power. It's not some gradual healing where, oh, you know, a couple days later, he's getting better. Just like that, immediately. Same act. Just like that, the son is healed. By the word of his power. Now look at how the, the, the royal official responds. Jesus says, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. No arguing. No, are you sure, Jesus, that you really need to come, you know, grab his arm, pull him, you know, that's, none of that happened. He believed. He believed. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And so we see a lot of things here about how God, God works. First, we can see that the Lord doesn't need to go to Capernaum and touch the sick boy to heal him. The Lord is in Cana of Galilee. Capernaum, if you look at your map, it's uh, quite a distance away. You know, by walking, is probably several hours walk. They didn't jump in their cars back then. <laughs> he had to walk. It was several hours walk. And so Jesus doesn't need to go there to touch him, to heal him. He speaks, and the word of his power heals the boy instantly. Distance is no barrier to Jesus Christ. He's at work all over this world. If you ever travel outside of the country, you know, you'll see that. I've been on mission trips all over the world, and, and it's amazing. Everywhere I, I, I land and show up, God's people are there, and Jesus is at work in their lives, and they have miracle stories of what he has done in their lives. All over the world, Jesus is not bound by time and space. He is at work everywhere, and he, he is working his work of salvation everywhere. He can give eternal life today by his word, even though he is at the right hand of the Father in heaven. The man hears Jesus' word, he believes it, and he goes on his way, and immediately his son is healed. Look at verse 51. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when, the, when he had began to get better. And they said, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. He himself believed in his whole household. And this was the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. And so, again, it's amazing that God allowed this official son to become sick. Why did he do that? He allowed the, son, the official son to become sick to the point of death to bring salvation to his father and his entire household. And that's amazing. God uses, he got allows suffering in our lives sometimes for bigger purposes than we will ever understand. This man's entire household was saved because of his son's illness. Mom, dad, brothers, sisters, servants, they all believed in Jesus because of this. 
And, and so I'm, I'm looking at this account and I look back over, you know, the different accounts in chapters two through four, where we've seen several direct encounters with various people and Jesus. Remember chapter two, Jesus at the wedding, the wine ran out. They asked him to save the day. He turns the water into the best wine around. His disciples believed in him. Each one of these accounts are written so that we would believe. And so we can see instances of belief in each one. The disciples believed in him after that miracle. In chapter three, Jesus encounters Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, the teacher of Israel. What does he say to Nicodemus? You must be born again. He tells him. And then Nicodemus, he, he receives this with academic skepticism. Jesus, how can a person enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? How, what are you talking about? How, how does that happen, Jesus? Come on. And so Nicodemus leaves unbelieving. But the seeds of the gospel were planted in that encounter. And if you read forward in John, you see Nicodemus comes back a couple different times. The seeds of the gospel were planted there. And it seems as if he ultimately does believe in Jesus. Later in John, we see him risking it all to, to come and properly bury the body of Jesus when Jesus is crucified. So in that encounter, you know, Nicodemus shows up. He's the teacher of Israel. He, he first has academic skepticism. Ah, come on, born again? What? I know how people are born. I know how this works. I don't believe that. Come on, I don't get it. But the seed of the gospel is planted, and it takes root, and it grows in his heart. Early in chapter 4, Jesus encountered the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, Jacob. And he says, I can give you living water. And she believes in him. Simply by the words, he speaks to her. Lord, give me this water. And I tell you, I have been praying that every single day for weeks. Lord, give me this water. And what he means by that is the Holy Spirit coming into our lives and giving us his love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's the living water of the Spirit overflowing in our hearts. And we've got to ask for it. Keep asking for it. Lord, give me this water. You read ahead in John. Jesus says, I'm the, the bread of life. I'm the living bread. Oh, Lord, give me that bread. I need to feast on you, Jesus, today, the living bread. And I need to drink deeply in my soul of your living water. And believe and be refreshed in my soul. He is the living water. She sees that, the woman at the well, and she says, sir, give me this water. And she believes in him. She believes in him, and most of the people in her town, it seems, because he stayed there for two days preaching the gospel. And as we close chapter four, we see in our text today the encounter with the royal official. He believes in Jesus. So, so the Samaritan woman takes him at his word. The royal official believes when he sees the powerful signs and wonders. When he has an experience like that, believes 
when he sees the powerful signs and wonders. He believes and his entire household. And so I'm thinking of these different accounts and I'm thinking, you know, which one are you today? What about you today? Are you like Nicodemus? Come on, Jesus. How can all this supernatural stuff be true? I believe in science. This can't be true. How can a man enter his mother's womb and be born a second time? Are you like Nicodemus? Are you the skeptic? Nah. Come on. Unless I put my hand or my finger into the scar of his hand and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. Like his disciple Thomas. Are you the skeptic? Or are you like the woman at the well, thirsty for God in your life and eager to drink freely of his living water? Or are you like the royal official? If I see a sign, then I'll believe. If my son is healed, then I'll believe. Show me, God. Or perhaps you're different than all of these. My hope and prayer for us all is that we will believe in Jesus. And that each, each day as we read his word and we see these accounts drawn out, that in, you know, we will believe in Jesus, we will see him in his word, and that by believing, we will all have life in his name. So that's the reason this book was written. And so think about that. Where are you today in your walk with Jesus? Believe in him today and have life eternal in his name. Amen.